Hello, everyone. Happy New Year, and welcome to the first episode of Hijinks for 2022. I'm Jinx Monsoon, and today our guest is my pal, John Cameron Mitchell, and we're going to talk about all things Hedwig and get into the nitty-gritty of the gender revolution and the renaissance of representation in mainstream media. It sounds heavy, but it's going to be a lot of fun. We have a lot of witty banter today for you on the brand new episode of Hijinks. So buckle in, buckle up, buckle down, hunker down, and, you know, listen to this podcast. <laughs> Forever. everyone, I'm Jinx Monsoon, and welcome to Hi Jinx, a podcast where I, an internationally tolerated drag superstar, get to interview compelling and fascinating people about how they became who they are and why they do what they do. Today, we are joined by actor, director, and playwright, John Cameron Mitchell. Oh my god, how did I... John Cameron Mitchell. Uh... Hi, John. Hi, Jinx. <laughs> Goodbye. What an intro. Um, so first and foremost, can you hear the little tinge of Hedwig in my You're my tolerated. internationally tolerated drag I superstar? I love that. It's, of course, I could like, say internationally ignored um, it's because a step, I'm too Because loud. you're not ignored. And <laughs> it's a step up. Remember when we were... Remember when we were always pleading for tolerance as queer people? <laughs> and then we were like, fuck that. I want more than tolerance. Exactly. I want special, I want special rights. <laughs> just for is, me. Yeah, just for me. <laughs> hope is not sufficient. Um, uh, John, I'm going to start today with telling a story um, that I'm sure I've told you many times. I, I can't honestly remember, but... The very first time we ever met, I was 17 in Portland, Oregon, and already a huge fan of Hedwig and the Angry Inch. And my friend Amanda, who was friends with Elias, um, was invited to a screening of Elephant, directed by Gus Van Zant, and I believe right. you, and Elias was in it. Mm -hmm. Elias was in it, and I uh, and you were at the screening. I. I were you were you two touring together for these screenings, <laughs> or you just happened to be there? I just happened to be in town. I think. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So I couldn't make it to the screening because I had rehearsal that night for my school play, and I rushed downtown, hoping that maybe after the screening I would get to at least say hello. Um, and what happened instead is Amanda being friends with Elias and Elias being friends with Gus Van Zant and you being there with Gus Van Zant. Um, there was a plan to get crepes at La Happy afterward. And I showed up just in time to get invited to go with you all. And then I sat next to you at La Happy 
and we all ate crepes and I just watched <laughs> I just watched you and Gus Van Zant and all these people talk and I just sat there in awe and at one point I think you turned to me and said, Could I try a bite of your crepe? <laughs> Which can't happen like, can... anymore. It was another era. <laughs> I, I wanted to say you can have the whole you can have the whole plate of food. You can take the plate home with you, John. You can have whatever you want. It was um, a truly magical experience. Oh. Flash forward to many years later. Um, now we're buddies. We're pals. We're buddies in bitterness. <laughs> All of our shows being canceled. <laughs> Returning to the online. I'm like, I was on stage last week you know i managed mm -hmm. to squeeze out two shows of the origin of love <laughs> squeeze them out <laughs> kind of like you know a little dropping the kids off of the pool and between various variants you know we managed the show <laughs> right and now we're just scheduling our lives between variants between variants yeah <laughs> and um i would you know we talk about the making of hedwig in the show and we're going to be doing it in in la and the 22nd at USC. I'm hoping it will pass quickly since we've had some practice with past variants. Yeah. Um, but I'm also at the point after, you know, like two years of this, I'm at the point where I'm not holding my breath for anything. <laughs> oh, God. So annoying. So annoying. Yeah. And But we, I, you know, I, I, you got Omicron, which messed up the end of your tour. Mine is perfectly timed so I can do L.A. <laughs> Scheduled your <laughs> schedule my Omicron, and I was all boosted and everything. I thought I was so cool. Oh yeah, but you know, all of us on the tour were boosted and boosted and vaxxed and ready to go. And um, um, we we blame it on the Denver airport. Eight hours in the Denver airport is enough to give anyone a debilitating <laughs> virus. Right, in the Delta or slash Omicron. Uh, a lounge um well someday we will sing together again you know maybe in an afterlife but <laughs> i'm just grateful to be alive you know absolutely i in moments you know where i'm feeling very frustrated and very bitter um i try to remember what my favorite teacher at acting school said um and it's when she would have she would have us start out every day with like a 40 minute workout before we could get into our i, I um, got that too clown yeah. lessons and right. <laughs> when we would be <laughs> or she said you're too femme to be hired um right. she never said that but she did give me the best note i've ever gotten from a director once and she said she threw a pencil at us and screamed make me laugh or i'll kill you <laughs> my favorite <laughs> note I've ever gotten she, when we amazing. would be complaining and like you know like groaning and moaning about having to do our 40 minute workout um, <laughs> she would say what a wonderful experience you all are having you all have legs and arms and bodies that can do amazing things now run up and down the stairs for 40 minutes <laughs> and she wouldn't do it would she no, she'd stand there and go, you know, like root us on with like um, loving cynicism. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, Charles Bush went to my college, Northwestern, which I never graduated from, but he came back to school and did this crazy, you know, and it was very closety time, early 80s and AIDS, and it was very intense. And everyone in theater school was closeted. You know, the mm. Queenie teachers, everybody, <laughs> like two guys were out in theater school. Yeah. 
it's like the fame it's like the fame movie right where paul mccrane the one guy is gay <laughs> in the performing arts school um and he said he said you know i was so femme that i realized no one's gonna hire me so i wrote my own shit and that really was the beginning. And his he did a multi-character piece that was very impressive. And seeing Charles Bush, seeing Ethel Eichelberger, who is someone people don't know because he was a legend in early 80s in New York, you know, kind of like a Justin Vivian Bond kind of character cross with, with Charles Ludlam. These are the people, and then you, if I'd known you, but you know who inspired me to do my own shit well i was you know? three john oh. but you could have inspired me you could have stepped up but, you know but it is a it's a it's a new era for yeah. queer performers for performers of any performance of difference you know mm-hmm. people of people of color performers of interest people of size anyone now has more options to do stuff of course, Drag Race allowed a certain kind of person. I was too old for Drag Race. Drag Race opened the gates of hell and demons came spilling demons out of it. Yes. All those demons. <laughs> and, you know, and all the, the, the bitter queens who were a little bit older saying, why weren't we on it? <laughs> Rue, I know you, Rue. I know your secrets. Um, God bless Lady Bunny. Um, <laughs> all these people were my heroes. And even meeting you, uh, not back then you weren't a hero. You were a, 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 a creped delivery system. But you weren't a content provider yet. But then later, when I went to see you with, uh, with um, Neil Patrick Harris, when he was preparing his Hedvig and he yeah. wanted to go to see you for research. Yeah. Um, not friendship, research. <laughs> that was a mind-blowing night. It was me. so beautiful. <laughs> what a great night. You know, we all just worship you. <clears throat> it was it was one of those really surreal moments. Um, I was doing my off-Broadway show, The Vaudevillians, in New York, and it was you. Stephen came too, right? Stephen, Stephen Trask. Yeah. Um, Neil Patrick Harris and the director of Hedwig on Broadway, which was Michael Mayer. Michael Mayer. Mayer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe. And to know that you, to, to be performing, I mean, my show was nothing like Hedwig in content, but yeah. it was very much, you know, it was the first show I wrote for myself and it was me performing in drag as a character that was not just, you know, me in drag. It was a, character with a whole life and a whole story to tell and in many ways it was like you know it was this daunting surreal and very exciting moment to be performing my show for someone who had written a show that had impacted my life um I first saw Hedwig when I was probably 14 or 15 um I went down to the Hollywood video near my house (laughs) When you had to rent your videos physically in real space. (laughs) And um, I remember, I remember picking the movie out and it was shortly after I had just rented Rocky Horror. And I remember my mom looking at the DVD cover for Hedwig and the Angry Inch and then looking at me and was like, is this all you're going to watch now is movies like this? (laughs) Uh, And you're like, yeah. Yeah, mom. Um, And that movie just, that movie changed my life. It was, well, you know, I hadn't known that it was a stage show first. Um, 
but the movie had a huge impact on my life. The music had a huge impact on my life and continues to. Um, but I feel like I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's start further back. Let's start with you... your favorite color. <laughs> yeah. I've seen so many interviews with you, so I feel like I know a lot of your story. I don't know how much, much of your I story do. my listeners will know, but before Hedwig and the Angry Inch, you had a whole life before Hedwig. I had <laughs> fucked my way to the middle by that point. <laughs> Hedwig lowered me to the lower middle because it was not cool. Drag was yeah. not classy. It yeah. still isn't. But, you know. <laughs> if we can help it, yeah. Right. It was considered not, you know, art. And it was considered low class, kind of like sex worker. It was like a sex worker. And, you know, we should be so lucky to be a good sex worker. But to me, it was, I worshiped the, the performers that I saw who were pushing the boundaries of drag. Cause drag of course is just a form and you can do anything with it. You can be cheap, mm -hmm. you can be classy, you can do Shakespeare with it. You can do Betty Bourne, you know, and play Lady Bracknell in, in the West End, you know, as a, as a man uh, playing a woman. And so it, Drag can be, you know, all kinds, you know, female to male, male to female, female to fag, fag to female, you know, anything mm -hmm. goes with performing, being aware of gender in your performance. And I was scared of it, terrified because the feminine was the worst thing in the world. You know, we were taught that being like a boy, a boy that being like a girl is worse than a boy killing someone because it, it, it's unnatural, you know. Murder the people, wasn't the, pe <laughs> the people teaching us that yeah. could not see anything worse than a man giving up his male privilege, which That's you right. inherently do when you um, when you start doing drag, you are giving up your male privilege in many ways. And when you are a shocker mean, to some, you get a especially now these days where, um, you know, the, the artist and the drag persona are being linked so much more. Like when I started, I could go out as Jinx and then go out as Jarek and no one knew the two were the same person. Right. And such is not the case anymore. But um, femphobia runs deep. Misogyny yep. runs deep in our society. And yep. even within the queer community. And I, yep. <clears throat> I know I've talked a lot about, you know, uh, it, being a drag queen back in the day, before the days of Drag Race, um, making it fun for people, making it something that people celebrate, um, it was like wearing a scarlet letter. <laughs> you know? yeah. It was it like was I a had a big red D. <laughs> I grew up in that same bullshit. So I crushed my feminine side. I was able to play straight and gay. So I was just so, you know, but I... AIDS radicalized me. And when I saw that it was life and death, then I was like, fuck this closet shit. There's shit to be done. Mm -hmm. So I was always very openly gay, even though I was afraid of my feminine. From 1985 on, when I was starting to, when I did my first action movie, Band of the Hand, you know, <laughs> there was some homophobic comments among the crew. And I just kind of spread it around in a casual way to the cast about my boyfriend. And suddenly the, the comments disappeared, mm -hmm. you know, a little openness quelled, you know, it didn't change everyone's minds, but it, it, it brought manners to the situation. Yeah. You know, and there was a sense of um, war during AIDS. It was wartime. 
and you did have to pick a side. And those people who were closeted and scared felt like goddamn quizlings. They felt like collaborators, yeah. you know, to the system of people who were conspiring with their neglect to let us die. You know, and I see a lot of the same things, not so much with, uh, you know, uh, bigotry, but insanity coming out of the COVID situation. Mm -hmm. Back then, too, interestingly, you know, the whole anti-vax, the government is doing this kind of craziness. You saw that in the gay community back then. Mm -hmm. You know, you saw it in reaction to safe sex. Mm -hmm. You know, a, a lot of gay men identify their politicalness with their freedom to have sex. So Larry Kramer and other people saying, you got to change your sex because it's killing you. They're like, fuck you, you're a fascist, you're a collaborator. You know, he was like, how dare you try to shut down the only way we have approving our freedom, which was, the, you know, which was a specious way of looking at it. There was, this was about life and death, you know, it was yeah. very similar. And at the same time, there was a New York native who was saying it was a government plot aids to kill gay people. Mm -hmm. Or it came from a, you know, a, a monkey, you know, whatever, you know, swine flu, I think was the thing they talked about. But it was just like the same paranoia was in the air. Back then it was from from queer people because we were being threatened, you know, and with now it's shifted to the right, you know, it always shifts around this the craziness and it's worse than I've ever seen in my life. I mean, it's, you know, this is January 6th. We're doing this on, yeah. you know, a year out from the beginning of the end of democracy. I don't know. Yeah. You know, it's a very strange time and we're still America. We're still, we're still have ingenuity. We still have ideas. We still have energy. That's the part of America I love. We still welcome the weirdos or at least the best of us do from around the world. You know, queer people are never nationalists in my view. We're, we're internationalists because we can go to any country and meet other queer people and feel a exactly. kinship. Yeah, you know that's a, that's the hope of queerness is that we can counteract all of this you know heterosexual male bullshit, which is about fear and control. And of course, yeah. gay people can can get fear scared and controlly too, but the best part of us is understanding empathy and that we're part of community of outsiders. Yeah. I'll get off my soapbox. Now <laughs> no, and, it's a and do my laundry. <laughs> been thinking a lot ever since um basically getting my start in this industry when I did drag race you know like I had already been acting locally in Seattle I had my whole plan for going from Seattle to New York you know I wanted a show to be previewed in Seattle which happens a lot and yep. I would originate one of the roles for a new show and they'd like me so much that they take me to Broadway with the show. And that was my that was my plan. And then one day I auditioned for Drag Race and I got on and that ended up being my path instead. And there was so much inherent fear as an actor, um, you know, having been told my whole life 
that it's fine to be queer, it's fine to be femme, but I also need to be castable. And yeah. castable was code for um, make yourself blend in and be as heteronormative and as cisnormative as possible so that people will want to cast you and so you don't get pigeonholed. Well, I'll tell you now, pigeon pigeonholing has become my favorite thing because I... <laughs> Cor I got cornholing and pigeonholing. Um, but like because I've kind of, you know, like found my niche within the entertainment industry, there's certain roles that are always like, let's go to Jinx first, you know, right. <laughs> because I've so cemented myself as a certain kind of performer. And now that like the industry is being called out for representation and and letting people play the roles that that they're meant to play letting you know if you're gonna write a role for a non-binary character a queer character a trans femme character have the actor actually be those things mm -hmm. <laughs> you know rather mm -hmm. than a straight pretty boy um uh approximating what he thinks a queer person acts like <laughs> um so it's it really does feel in many ways like there's this we're at this like point where it almost feels like a renaissance but also so many things are still um, not functioning great. Um, so it feels kind of like we've got a lot of work to do, but things feel optimistic and you're starting to see the, the efforts of the work pay off. Yeah. And there's so much more representation and entertainment than I remember as a child. And you have your foot firmly planted in a lot of that, um, seeing as Hedwig, um, you you started Hedwig as an off-Broadway show. It became a movie. It's now been on Broadway. You're touring once again um, with the Origin of Love tour with Stephen Trask. Um, Hedwig continually has rebirths and is um, revisited time and time again. And I got to see you on Broadway fully with your um, with your foot in a boot. <laughs> your foot in a cast boot oh which, yeah um any other show i would be like oh the lead actor's wearing a cast a, a, a boot on stage how's that gonna work somehow having been very familiar with the with the show myself at that point um the live show um somehow it just made such perfect sense that Hedwig was wearing this boot and like now I now I can't imagine Hedwig not without a boot. <laughs> it was a godsend. You know, it was like cuz Neil Patrick Harris originated choreography which was for a much younger man than me. <laughs> so he's like he's very athletic and I'm like oh god I'm not going to get through this so I had to adapt things and finally it pushed me too far and I climbed out of that car and went the you know on the wrong rung and and ripped my meniscus out and for the rest of the show kind of had to sit down on the ground we're doing midnight radio from a from a seated position uh, on the floor but i got through it and then i was like oh this is a bummer then i'm like no this is an opportunity for all kinds of new lines yeah so i'm like wearing you know, wearing the cat. I'm like, ladies and gentlemen, you're seeing the show with the original cast. <laughs> and then oh, it was, so you know, many opportunities for so many opportunities for gags. <laughs> yeah. And then I could humiliate. It was it was so fun to do the show again. I could even humiliate, uh, you know, James Franco. I used to have a joke <laughs> that I added, which was um, 
you know, because Hedvig has a terrible accident and kills some deaf children by accident. And that's why she's famous, you know, because the rock star was in the car with her. And uh, mm -hmm. she goes, if it weren't for those kids, I'd be singing to the coat check girl. And if I was lucky, James Franco with a handicap. James, <laughs> all, all the, what is it? All the privileges of homosexuality and none of the responsibilities. <laughs> And one night he came and I was, I did that line. He came back, <laughs> he came back after, after backstage. And I said, what did you think of the line? And he goes, what line? I, I was 15 minutes late. I was like, you motherfucking you mother Hollywood bullshit coming 15 minutes late to a Broadway show. Fuck you. <laughs> that is, you know, what's so funny without even um, knowing that you had that James Franco joke in, in my holiday tour, I actually had a Darren Chris joke in the show and it made, I was very nervous that he might be there um, in LA and I was hoping that he would have a very good sense of humor and it wasn't anything like salacious. It wasn't anything, right. but I did a whole, I did a whole um, Ted talk in the middle of the show about queer baiting um, starting um. with real life queer baiters and then um, transitioning into talking about Rudolph Frosty and Tiny Tim as queer baiters and relating it back to Christmas. Um, and uh, the Darren Chris joke was, you know, I just did this uh, <laughs> very scholarly um, uh, <laughs> for too long. Uh, Christmas has enjoyed the financial benefit of the queer community and the queer aesthetic um, while resting safely in the privilege and security of the cis-heteronormative community. And I click the slide, and the next thing that comes up is the album cover of Very Darren Christmas, <laughs> where he's dressed as all the members of the family. <laughs> and there was no joke about Darren Chris other than his, his album cover coming up <laughs> for that I think, moment. I actually think, I think he would laugh. I, really, I do. And I then cry. <laughs> I had to kind of examine my my true feelings about queer baiting um, because I would make jokes about people who are definitely in the queer baiting category, but who I also feel are effective allies. I yeah, feel like I, Darren Chris is an effective ally. I oh, actually yeah. feel like Harry Styles is an effective ally. The problem... Yeah. The problem's not so much with Harry Styles, it's no. with people celebrating Harry Styles over the community for, that he's actually yes. trying to empower. Forgetting, yeah, forgetting where it comes from. And yeah. But, you know, interestingly, you were talking, you know, and I do want to get into this because you were talking about, <laughs> oh, finally, the, the non-binary or the trans person can play themselves. And mm -hmm. I had my own experience with Hedvig uh, dealing with that because... Mm -hmm. In Australia, there was a production, first-class production, starring a guy named Hugh Sheridan, who was a big star there, who had more recently come out. And he was a queer guy. And he, you know, had his own, you know, he was kind of finding his own everything. But, you know, he, he also, you know, he's non-binary as well. But as am I, I don't really like the term. You know, it's very, it's defining someone by what they're not, you know, mm -hmm. which I don't like. It's kind of like saying woman instead of another word, non-binary, it's like, this is what you're not, you know, it's like, why don't we say trinary then? Mm -hmm. <laughs> trinary is good. Right? I like it. You could try, you know, but it's like, it creates like third sex, maybe, I don't know. But to me, it's like, we all, we're all on a continuum, whether we 
like it or not, that society says feminine and masculine. And those energies flow in all of us. We can crush them. We can express them. We can hide them away. And this is everybody. This is our butch dad. This is our femme mom. You know, we all have these things that society or ourselves contain or let free. And I found that my feminine side, Hedwig allowed me to finally express it. And it opened me up in many ways it, to sexually, uh, gender-wise, creatively, nothing scared me anymore. I felt more like myself. I felt integrated, more whole, like Hedwig wants to be. And I felt safe by it. And anyone who's played the role has been opened up by it. You know, nothing is oh, harder absolutely. than playing, right? Nothing's harder than playing that role. Uh, physically and mentally and you know vocally oh jesus christ no like when i when i did the show the first time in seattle i've done it three times once as a senior thesis for um college um once in seattle before drag race and then and once in, in a senior center <laughs> oh. and trust me those those seniors they were they had their lighters up um, they don't hide their feelings <laughs> But I was on a strict regimen of I would sleep all day, get up, get ready for the show, do the show, go home and drink two hot toddies and then sleep until the next show because there was yeah. nothing. And nothing I had to, to cut out any form of sugar whatsoever. Yeah, you know, I, I, I was using weed capsules at that point. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You got to eat. You have to eat better. But ultimately, it's everyone I know who who'd played it like you know american korean idol winners you know in mm. seoul you know straight athletes in japan you know uh all kinds of folks said that it changed them you know it mm. changed them for the better mm -hmm. it allowed them to see parts of themselves they hadn't And this care, this act, I think they were young, started a petition saying, Hedwig may not be played by a cis person. Hedwig is a trans character and must be played by a trans actor. Um, which is interesting because they didn't cancel the, the, you know, the whole show mm -hmm. the pro because I'm, you know, I'm not trans. Mm -hmm. So, you know, why didn't they just say it wasn't valid because I didn't because I wrote it. I, I don't know. I think they just wanted the role. Mm -hmm. But to me, I had to step in because I not only is was that actor actually inherently non-binary, but hadn't actually said it yet. He was just kind of finding his way. And, and Hedvig was helping him find his way. Mm -hmm. It was that I said, guys, if you think of Hedvig as a trans uh, model and a trans statement you've got to, this is a character who is forced into a gender reassignment by their government mm -hmm. their boyfriend mm -hmm. this is a story of the patriarchy telling you what is male and what is female and you better conform to that mm -hmm. or you're doomed it's about reinforcing the binarchy which i have a problem with I do have a problem with the binarchy saying that for a man, you have to do this. For a woman, you have to be that. And the definition of a woman is having no penis. Again, a negative 
uh, a negative um, meaning for the word, just like non-binary, not binary. You know, to me, it's like everything that the piece was about was finding yourself, about finding out who you are as a gender of one. And to for someone who hadn't even written it or asked me, you know, what I thought about it, to say, to make a pronouncement, you know, a 21-year-old who hasn't lived that long, but, you know, has their dignity as a human, to say that, oh, that, that character has to be played by a trans person. How trans do you have to be then? Yeah. Do you have to be binary trans and post, you know what I mean? It's like, to me, it's like, the character is playing Tommy, is playing his mother, is playing Hedvig, is playing a lot of people. And it's the gender journey is not about uh, the, the operation, which I call a gender abnegation operation, because you gave, she gave up her control completely. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a gender affirmation. It was forced. And it was drag. It was putting on the makeup and the wig and rock and roll that saved that person yeah and drag is for everybody yeah i truly believe drag is for everybody and to limit that because you want to play the role is wrong i understand there's a there's a shortage of roles god knows and every piece i write has gender non-conforming characters of all races oh i'm not alone i don't know if i'm allowed to write a a, a non-white role anymore you know what i mean there's there's a panic about staying in your own lane that's, that can get out of hand and you suddenly lose imagination. And if- Well, yeah. <clears throat> I, I, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, please. No, I know exactly what you <laughs> want to be talking about here. Talk about. No, I just, um, I, I, I think it's really important for people to hear, you know, that side of it because I do think I mean, everything you said, uh, it, you know, that's the work I did when I was playing Hedwig the first time and then the second time and the third time is realizing that this is not a universal trans person's story. This is one person's very specific story about how they transitioned through circumstance, not through self-identity. And when when I was very young um, and Hedwig was new, the movie was new at my queer youth resource center that I hung out at in Portland, Oregon. (laughs) I remember a trans person saying, I love the movie Hedwig and the Angry Inch, but people need to realize it's a movie. It's a drag movie, not a trans movie. It's a movie about a person who created an identity and wore it not a trans person finding their if anything if anything hedwig finds her true self by the end to me as a non-binary person or as a gender non-conforming person and realizing that she doesn't have to push herself into one box or the other that she was already herself and she let outside influences change her own self-perception and she found it again by the end and hearing that person say that that early in my life and that like when the material was that new to me I was like oh this isn't the story about a trans woman this is a story about Hedwig and um that was really important for me and oh my god a painting just fell off my wall (laughs) (laughs) it was a painting of Hedwig it's an omen Ah. Um, but I but 
to the to that point, I think that's why anyone could play Hedwig. You know, yeah. I think it's one of those roles. Yes, the circumstances that Hedwig deals with are very specific. And I would prefer if whoever playing Hedwig is somewhere in the queer community. But I don't think that the gender of the actor is as essential um, to Hedwig as it would be in other in other roles. I agree. Um, because it is not about the transit experience. It is about this one character's experience. Um, so I think, it, and I think, you know, we are at this point and I don't think it's a bad thing. I just think it's the circumstances we're dealing with. We're at this point where we have older generations of trans people yeah. and younger generations of trans people who have had wildly different experiences. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Like you can't compare the experience of a 20 year old trans person right now to a 60 year old trans person because the circumstances were completely different. Yeah. So we're kind of seeing this clash between generations, I think, where the younger generation wants everything to be the way that they were taught which is, I mean, they're being taught much bigger, much like more accepting messages and yep. being taught that everything doesn't have to exist on the binary and being taught that like transitioning doesn't mean going from male to female if that's not what that means for you. Right. They have this whole world of opportunities of finding their identity and expressing their identity that past generations didn't have. And to that end, I think the younger generation needs to have a little bit more patience and a little bit more understanding and a little bit more they need living. To, yeah, they need to. I think that the I think that people need to see that when the circumstances were different, survival tactics were different. And yeah. some of these some of these older queers and queens and <laughs> trans people out there um just have did no patience it took to to survive yeah and they're angry that they're being told that what they are is not correct you know it's like i fucking survived aids i survived my teeth being kicked out for for being a, a femme boy in the streets and you're gonna tell me you 21 year old you know college graduate yeah. and and it doesn't have to be that fight it doesn't, it doesn't have to be that from place. either end. The, no. the, old, the older generations can realize that things are changing and have yeah. patience with the younger generation as as they're figuring things out. The younger generation can have patience and understand, excuse me, understand that there's plenty of nuance um, between everyone's stories. And ultimately, what I would love is if the queer community just had patience and compassion and empathy for each other so yes. that we focus that angry energy on the on real enemy real oppressors, you know, thank you. And they're very um, clear who they are. It's very clear. Yeah. And I, I, um, I won't take up tons more time with this, but I remember like an online feud I saw where an older trans person was saying that they completely embrace non-binary people. Um, they completely embrace, you know, new revolutionary gender movements. But the idea of calling everyone they, them to just de-gender everybody was very triggering for them as a trans person because mm. they spent their life realizing their true self. They spent their mm. life 
working towards being able to live their truth as a trans person and to be called the the pronouns that they that they identify with and then younger trans people wanting to degender everything because gender is a construct and they want to tear it down which you know more power to you but when you when you don't <laughs> you know when you assume that everyone should be they them because that's what you want you could be disrespecting another trans person who worked really hard to right. be called she or he and we yeah. have to have I didn't I hadn't heard of that, that movement to movement to well, call I everybody think, they I think there's merit that. to it because it's like until a person tells you their preferred pronouns because mm. not everyone is quote unquote passable which is a whole different yeah. battle oh. <laughs> um mm -hmm. the 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 whole concept of quote unquote passing is just a fucking you know that's nuanced and has plenty of angles to look at it um but yeah so until someone tells you their preferred pronouns um you know there's some people who will say they them until they know a person's preferred pronouns so they don't accidentally misgender that person but in saying they them it's almost still misgendering that person especially right. if that person is trans and feels like you're telling them that they're not passing right and of and, course this is and you're talking about you know sensitivity you're talking about a lot of people whose skin is very thin right now. And when you grow up different, that's what happens. They can get thick in one way and very thin in other ways. And we, ha we do have to be sensitive, but we also have to have a sense of humor because that is what brings us together Which is too, another is survival tactic. <laughs> yeah, and, and some people even find that to be inappropriate. You know, it's too much humor when we're talking about things like this. You and I, you know, even though you're younger than me, I think we have come from the same tribe of how we think about things. And we're both theater people, which is a different vibe that is much more about let's put on a show and get it together. And <laughs> let's get you know, on the old razzle dazzle. <laughs> yeah, we're time, we're punch, you know, we're, we're time card actors. We know when we're supposed to show up and when we're not, it's different from being a film person or even a, um, even a cabaret person because you're, you're more of a theater person. So, to me, it's like, I want to learn from everybody. I truly want to learn from it. And interestingly, that Australian thing, the guy, Hugh, didn't, he was so hurt by this, the actor was so hurt by this attack that he tried to commit suicide, you know? And, and, and he checked himself into a, you know, a hospital and he's doing okay now. And actually one of the people who led the, the uh, campaign against him apologized, mm -hmm. you know, which was unheard of. But to me, it's like we're all, you know, brothers and sisters and siblings here, and we know who the real enemy is. Let us not do Trump's job for him and, and tear each other apart. Yeah. We have so much in common here, and it's a beautiful time. One part of today is very scary, you know, a, a lack of belief in the truth and, you know, a, a paranoia. But another side of things in terms of gender you know, gender issues, things are getting better, at least in the, you know, the industrialized world. And a lot of this stuff filters into other cultures, you know, and Hedvig, I'm so thrilled when 
is because you know some some person from a country where it never played knew about it and it helped them yeah. you know we're about to re-release short bus which did its own work you know yeah. which was about short bus taught me a lot about um <laughs> sexual liberation um whereas hedwig taught me a lot about my gender journey short bus um was the beginning of my journey uh the beginning of I'm me on getting my path your dick into your ethical mouth. slut yeah <laughs> <laughs> did you ever get your dick in your mouth i <laughs> when i did ballet uh <laughs> not one of the exercises <laughs> oh, that french lady pushing your head down oh my. <laughs> yeah. i know we got a 4k re-release i was going to come to portland at the hollywood theater there actually and do an event we'll do it again later in the year omicron's you know stop that but we are re-releasing it uh, in theaters starting at the end of January. Um, IFC in New York, the New Art in LA, and it's going to spread around the, the country. Um, and I love when people also, you know, I don't have kids, you know, you may not have kids either. In the I future, have friends my age who are our kids, yes. <laughs> yeah, yes. We're just as annoying and lovely. But our work is our kids, you know, and Hedvig is my biggest, you know, my biggest child. And, and I'm very proud of her going on. I'm not always proud of what she does, you know, <laughs> or every production, but I lo love her to be free. Um, and the original love tour is, is talking about that love and where it came from and, you know, thrilled to have friends who are inspired by it too. In LA, ideally we're going to have Orville Peck performing with us, mm -hmm. you know, who they had a big fan and Jake Wesley Rogers and New York. We had Richard Butler from the psychedelic furs, who was a, you know, an idol of both Stephen and mine. Um, and it's, I'm very happy how my kids <laughs> have been treated apart from my last film that nobody <laughs> saw. Watch it. How to talk to girls at parties. With Nicole Kidman, come on. <laughs> it's Nicole Kidman, people. <laughs> You're the Nicole Kidman of the uh, performance art world, honey. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> because of the hair. <laughs> what, this? That's my thing. <laughs> um, well, we have spent pretty much the entire podcast talking about Hedwig, which oh. I'm perfectly thrilled with. Um, it's I, I think it's such a... It's been a formative piece in my life. I have to imagine it's had an impact on your life. Yes, somewhat. Um, but I'd love to talk about a few other things sure. um, that you are known for. Um, first and foremost, I need to know, were you the voice yes. of Dunkaroos Harriet, <laughs> in the 90s? How do you do your Dunkaroos? <laughs> Yes, I was. And that For anyone listening rent. who doesn't know what Dunkaroos are, they are kangaroo-shaped um, okay. cookies that you dip in frosting. And it's much like those little packets that come with cheese, that spreadable cheese, and a little stack of crackers. It's just like that, but it's cookies and frosting. It's Dunkaroos. the first interactive <laughs> dessert. <laughs> and it paid my rent for three years. <laughs> they've been re-released and they never called me oh no. do you think they're just gonna play the same clips from before <laughs> i don't know i went to australia and they played the clips there and my accent was bad 
Uh, but they, <laughs> but they're very forgiving in Australia. And uh, I once did. How do you do your dungarees to uh, Nicole Kidman? And she's like, nar, nar, nar. <laughs> I nar. find I was told at my acting school that I was very proficient in dialects, and I actually was a voice and speech tutor. And I taught dialects here. I substitute taught dialects here and there for the school. (laughs) And um, I always felt very, very proud of my work as a dialect, uh, a dialect chameleon. Now I'm married to a British person and I go to the UK all the time. And the consensus is that I'm not very good (laughs) UK accents. (laughs) And generally what they tell me is it's a good, like, quote unquote, British accent but you're not doing anyone you're doing an an amalgamation of every british dialect and in one sentence you sound like you're from the north and the next sentence you sound like you're from london and so i think that american actors think they're better at dialects than they actually are are. how is can michael do american Michael can do um, a, a fairly good American um, accent. It always comes out very nasal and a little bit from the Midwest. Okay. Um, Minnesota. <laughs> yeah, just yeah. a little bit. But um, we definitely tease each other with our dialects. My favorite thing to do is whenever he says like, no, but that was you. I scream back, not me, not Hermione, you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) Now, aside from your Dunkaroos fame, um, one of my favorite things to watch you on is Shrill, an amazing show based on the writings of Lindy West, starring A.D. Bryant, um, starring Patty Harrison, and starring... John Cameron Mitchell. Um, And you play kind of the anti-John Cameron Mitchell. You play a very much gay, uh, trademark gay, um, very snarky, mean, older gay man, (laughs) (laughs) which is nothing I find you to be in real life. Is it fun to play a villain? (laughs) It is. You know, I would joke, Patty and I would joke, you know, Patty's trans and, and we were roommates for the first year of Shrill. Um, it was mostly her up in the in the attic, you know, sleeping on the <laughs> ceiling like a spider. Um, <laughs> me checking in. You okay up there, hon? Yeah. <laughs> Bring me a fly. I love Patty, but both of us were like, we're playing kind of the villains mm-hmm. in Shrill. She plays my uh, surrogate daughter slash a secretary. And we had all this improv they never really used. My favorite improv of Patty, who's the, one of the funniest people I know, is she says to me as her boss, she goes, look, I you may be my master and I may be your cat, but when you die, I'll eat you. <laughs> and you know what? A dog will wait a day, but not a cat. <laughs> so we get oh. to play villains, you know, for a few years there, when people were trying to be PC in Hollywood, none of the gay people could be villains because there were too many of them in the past. Mm-hmm. They were either victims or villains, right? Mm-hmm. Like Hannibal Lecter or, uh, not Hound Elector, but the other guy. Uh, um, Buffalo you know, Bill. Yeah, yeah, Buffalo Bill, who was not exactly queer, but, you know, there was a kind of, you know, in the audience's mind, it was a terrifying uh, queer person. So we're like, we're so liberated now that we can play evil people again. Yeah. So that's all I've been doing for the last few years. I played uh, 
that character. I played uh, a character based on Milo Yiannopoulos in The Good Fight, mm -hmm. you know, the evil Trump gay. Mm -hmm. um, and, and now I'm playing Joe Exotic. Yes, and let's talk about that for a second. First of all, the images of you as Joe Exotic, terrifying, because you actually, you really kind sell of. it. You really kind of pull it off. I'm looking <laughs> at you right now with your two-tone hair and your uh, and your sweet, impish face. And, and I'm looking at these pictures of you as Joe Exotic, and it's hard to believe the two people are the same person. Um, you said you had a... Uh, a quote for me um, from Joe Exotic about yes. you playing Joe Exotic. <laughs> well, Joe uh, posted, I think it was after Nick Cage's Joe Exotic project fell apart. He's like, I don't, you know, I don't want um, Nick Cage or John Cameron Mears to play me because they don't know who I am. You know, and <laughs> and he said, Cameron Mitchell's going to make me look like a flaming fight. Flaming faggot. <laughs> And my response was, you know, a painted nails emoji. <laughs> and I was like, honey, you don't even know how much the show is going to humanize you. It's so empathetic. You know, mm. Kate, Kate McKinnon plays Carol Baskin. Which also blows my mind. Hello. And how amazing it is that it's the two of you, two um, uh, prominent queer people, two like just wildly talented people, playing two of the most enigmatic <laughs> damage oh my crazy. gosh i had to watch season two <laughs> i had to watch season two of tiger king um the highlights for uh, a netflix uh queens who like to watch i was filling in for trixie and we watched the highlights about an hour and a half of highlights of season two of Ti tiger king let me tell you what's not in season two of tiger king Tigers. <laughs> the tigers don't mean shit anymore to the story. Nope. Now we are just watching the some of the, the most worst people in the world. Crazy evil people in Florida just be crazy evil people. And my the part that like both blew my mind and was hilarious for the for the comedy that we were building off of it was that every person, no matter how virtuous they seemed, no matter how well intended they seemed. Um, in this whole exotic animal trade world, every single one of them ended their statement with, and if he's got a problem with it, he can come to my property and I've got a nine millimeter locked every and Every one of them. Every goddamn one of them. Every one of them is a survivalist <laughs> cult leader with a number, <laughs> you know, a number of sister wives or, or brother husbands. <laughs> I had four of them. <laughs> um, in the show and I loved them all but but it was really fun I'd never had more fun acting in front of the camera including Hedvig because I was directing Hedvig so it was really hard this I didn't have to direct even though I sometimes acted like I did <laughs> but I loved everybody on it the writers, the directors, the crew you know the cameraman was my favorite his name was Mango and he was like this little kind of golem like creature in black and he you know <laughs> he had more power than anyone on set usually a camera operator is not that important you know but he, he seemed to be as important as a cinematographer and you know i used to jibe him and i gave him a, an inflatable <laughs> hot tub as a gift because he was you know, his back was hurting and he, at, at the end of it, he said jill you know you know let's go for a smoke car just a smoke, <laughs> smoke break leave me alone i'm on a smoke car john 
I hate actors. I hate it. <laughs> and I'm like, but I like you because you're one of us. You're one of us. You're a daywalker, John. <laughs> you, day you've walk. lived on both sides of the camera. I want to be. I want to be one of the guys. You know, I never will be. But I had a fucking blast doing it. Kate and I had a great time. We only had three scenes, but we even made out in one of them. <laughs> and my boyfriends are wonderful actors. It's packed with people that are, you know, uh, what's his name, Kyle, Mac Kyle McLaughlin's, you know, playing Carol's husband. I don't know how good it's going to be, but I had a blast. <laughs> I really did. And I want to act more now. I, I kind of gave it up after Hedwig for 12 years because I was burnt. But now I'm, I'm you know, kind of ready to act. I'm working on some uh, TV and podcast series also. But uh, that's, I'm, I'm just excited about uh, Tiger King coming out in the beginning of March. Well, congratulations. On Peacock. <laughs> I can't uh, I mean I just I adore you I adore Kate McKinnon she's been a, um, a lovely friend to me um, yeah starting way back at the same um, show in New York um, the vaudevillians that was also um. how I met Kate for the first time and she's been an avid supporter of the of the live entertainment drag world um, and y'all are both just so talented and such uh I won't call you role models. I won't put that pressure on you, but you definitely do the community proud, both of you. <laughs> did you see that stick when she at the show where she did the lonely Christmas sketch? No, I haven't. Oh, yet. it's so funny. She's like an old lady who's alone at Christmas. And <laughs> Billie Eilish does a message in the window come over for Christmas dinner. <laughs> She's like, really? And she writes a message Will there be any black people there? Oh, God. <laughs> and <sighs> Billie's like, uh, I don't. Thanks so. Jews? <laughs> I I think it's just my family. I don't think there's any Jews. Could you check? <laughs> she becomes the worst. Jesus <laughs> she's like, I didn't kill my husband. <laughs> uh, she's just the best. The best. Um I I can't wait to see you both embody those characters. And I feel like I had one more anecdote that I was going to say before I shifted into my closeout questions and now it's gone. But if it comes back to me, I'm going to interrupt you abruptly. You're in and... your anecdotes. <laughs> you're I in your anecdotes. You're in your this anecdotage. Is <laughs> this is the anecdote. Yeah. Um, uh, this, this made my entire world um, when, uh, you know, the script of Hedwig and the Angry Inch, the live show, um, has lots of room for improvisation. It encourages the the performer to personalize and customize the Hedwig performance to to the locale, to the person playing Hedwig. Um, there's a lot of freedom within the script. Um, of course, we we tried to take our liberties sparingly, so we weren't just rewriting your show. But um, uh, my director, um, Ian Bell, when we did it in Seattle. Um, he and I came up with a joke, um, building off of the joke that's already in the script. Um, you, uh, Kant, yeah. always get what you want. Which and refers to added, a German, German <laughs> philosopher. Greg and then Kant. we added, but sometimes you just might find you get what you need. You. And I told yes. you that joke. And um, 
I think you said the RuPaul line, consider that stolen. And <laughs> when I saw you on Broadway and that joke was in the show, the whole audience chuckled. You know, the whole audience was like laughing at the joke, giving it the appropriate amount of audience laughter. <laughs> But I sat in my seat just screaming my head off, annoying everyone around me because I could not believe it made it into the show. And then here I was um, after the show, you invited me back to say hello in the dressing room. And um, there were so many people waiting to say hi to you after the show. And I was like, I hadn't seen you in years. And we had only like sparsely interacted at that point. And I was so nervous that you weren't even going to recognize me or like, oh, my gosh, I feel so out of place. All these people are so all these people are like schmoozing with each other, waiting for you to come out. And you came out and you made a beeline for me. And before saying hello to anyone else, you went straight up to me and said, did you hear the line in the show? <laughs> it made my entire life. Thank you for that experience, John. And thank you so much um, for your contribution to the world with Hedwig and Whoa. your other films. Let's not forget your other children. Um, yeah. Everyone should watch Short Bus and How to Talk to Girls at Parties. And if um, the Origin of Love Tour comes to your town, be sure to see it if it's safe to do so and wear your masks, goddammit, and get yeah. vaccinated and boosted, everybody, so that I can have my job back. John, these are the questions that I ask every guest on my show. Yeah. yeah. Um, you don't have to worry about how to answer them. Just answer from your heart. Okay. First one is, who is your celebrity crush today? Well, <laughs> I mean, there's the people that are, is it someone I want to fuck maybe? Or someone it, I just. I used to try to, I used to try to direct the person into talking about who they want to fuck until right. Monet Exchange took it so far that I, I, I've now opened <laughs> the question <laughs> up oh, to okay. everyone. I mean, my, I have two living heroines who um, don't want to fuck are Jenna Rollins, who I believe is the greatest screen actress we ever had. She was. John Cassavetti's husband and her films with him, especially A Woman Under the Influence, uh, changed my life. And a soul sing gospel soul singer, Mavis Staples, who I've always loved. She was in the Staples Singers. If people don't know that group, you probably know the song, I'll Take You There. Mm -hmm. um, and I haven't met her, but I've, I've just bought a house in New Orleans with Tiger King money, laundered it. <laughs> and... I'm ready to become, you know, I'm, which is um, Jennifer Coolidge, who lives in New Orleans also. I'm ready to become her. Um, and I've made, I've commissioned two stained glass portraits. I love stained glass. One of Jenna and one of, uh, one of Mavis Staples and another one of Paul Dawson from Short Bus coming into his own mouth. So those will be, <laughs> those will, that'll be in the bathroom. Perfect. <laughs> Um, my next question for you is, are you spiritual? I am spiritual. You know, I talk a lot about the Gnostic. I was grew up very Catholic and obviously that didn't work out, <laughs> but I love the pageantry. I love, you know, some of the, the philosophy about, you know, 
loving your neighbor and such. And I really am into the Gnostic Gospels, which is a way of looking at Christianity that wasn't about masculine control and authority and hierarchical church. Check out a book called, a slim volume called The Gnostic Gospels by Elaine Pagels, P-H-E-E-L-S. And it'll make you spiritual again if you, if you rejected your Christianity when you were young. Mm. I love a good um, book recommendation. <laughs> yeah, Gnostic with a G. <clears throat> um, and my final question for you is, what is your go-to karaoke song? Oh, I usually don't like to do karaoke or dress up for Halloween and stuff because it reminds <laughs> me of work. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I think when I have done karaoke, you know, because it's the thing of keys, you know, you can't always hit a woman's key if you're a man. You can. But I think the last well, I never one... hit puberty. Oh, <laughs> all right, little Jimmy Scott. <laughs> little jimmy jinx um but i think my favorite song was holly holy by neil diamond (laughs) holy dream um i just saw that will ferrell sketch remember when he did the unplugged storytellers as neil diamond he's like this song is about when i killed a drifter to get an erection (laughs) crackling rosie Sorry, I don't know where that came to me. So there, Holly Holy, Neil Diamond. Lovely. I'm not familiar, but I'll, Check I'll, it out. Give, it, I'll give it a listen after this. For you, it's John. One. It's a good um, one. I want to encourage all of my listeners to look into your body of work. If you haven't seen Shrill, it's all on Hulu if you're in the U.S., and I'm sure you can find a way to watch it anywhere else. Um, Hedwig and the Angry Inch, Short Bus, How to Talk to Girls at Parties. Um, Rabbit Hole rabbit hole <laughs> and you say it like it's dirty no no i just no. i love rabbits i love holes um <laughs> i want i don't always do like a like a uh public service announcement at the end of the podcast but we talked about some um nuanced complex things today and i hope all my listeners um I hope all my listeners take away from our conversation about gender that we can all stand to have a little bit more compassion, patience, and empathy for one another within the LGBTQ plus community. I I hope that everyone gives room to each other's experiences. Um, I hope that we practice not jumping to anger immediately. Um, Look at context clues. Give a moment to, to try to take in the other person's experience and take a moment to realize that we all come from different backgrounds. We were born in different times. We all come from different locales. And those things shape our experiences immensely. Um, if we have more patience for each other, we can unify against the actual enemies. And they are abundant. And they are <laughs> And one thing that they do very well is they all close ranks and they all follow and their leader. And choose a dictator. Yeah. yeah. People and, on the left don't like dictators or to be yeah. told what to do. But since we don't have a queer dictator right now, <laughs> yeah. we need to unify in our own actions and our own empathy towards each other so that we are focusing our energies against 
the actual enemies and oppressors. So please take time to listen to each other's stories and have room for each other's experiences. And, you know, then when we then when we call out people within our community, um, maybe it's it's a little bit more informed and not so much jump into the gun. Right. Uh, (laughs) Maybe maybe even a call in. Yeah. I mm-hmm. think calling in is extremely important, especially if there's um, a bevy of context clues to let you know that maybe this person isn't a horrible person. <laughs> maybe they need someone like you to call in and educate them on a topic that they have yet to encounter in their own life. That's right. So that's my wish for all my listeners and for our community at large. I nominate um, you as our queer <laughs> dictator. <laughs> all hail! <laughs> Don't you have to be 35 um, and have served in the military to be a dictator? (laughs) Not the queer dictator. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today, John Cameron Mitchell. I love Um, you, honey. Give my love love to Michael and we'll see each other after the storm. I absolutely will. And thank you all so much for listening to Hi Jinx here on the Forever Dog and Moguls of Media Network. My name is Jinx Monsoon and we have new episodes every Wednesday. So make sure to search for Hi Jinx on your favorite podcast app and hit subscribe. You can follow me at The Jinx on Instagram and at Jinx Monsoon everywhere else. And I'll see you next Wednesday for some more Hi Jinx. To listen to Hi Jinx ad-free and one day early, sign up for Forever Dog Plus at foreverdogpodcasts.com slash plus. Hi Jinx is produced by Forever Dog and Moguls of Media, a.k.a. Mom. Hosted by me, Jinx Monsoon. Produced by Joseph Shepard. Editing and sound design by Will Pitts. And executive produced by Willem Belli, Alaska Thunderfuck, Brett Boehm, Big Dipper, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. 